Thank you uh, for making this a part of your day. Today we are looking at Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. So this isn't a Christian song. This isn't a Christian song. We have to say that right at the beginning. Uh, But is it a religious song? Some people say it's not a religious song. Some people say it is a religious song. So is it a religious song? Well, we're going to take a look at it because there's a lot of scripture scripture references in it uh, and then take a look at where is the theology in it, if there is any. So uh, that's what we're looking at today. Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Uh, So before we do that, let's just say this. The word Hallelujah means God be praised. So the title of the song is a word that means God be praised. So I don't know if you could say that this is not a religious song when the title is God be praised. Now, the song is about a lot of different things. But first, before we get to the song, let's talk about Leonard Cohen for a minute. Leonard Cohen, was he a religious person? Well, yes, he was religious. He was Jewish. He was uh, uh, Growing up, he observed the Sabbath. Even as an adult, he observed the Sabbath. Uh, so he was a Jewish person. In the 90s, he spent some time uh, studying Buddhism and b- became an ordained Buddhist monk. And later in life, he went on to say that he was very fond of Jesus. He said he was probably the most beautiful guy who ever walked the earth. So talking about Leonard Cohen's religion, someone said that he never met a religion that he didn't like. So he was obviously a very religious man uh, trying to find truth in life. And so this song is kind of a reflection of that. This song, kind of like his religion, kind of like life itself, is all over the place. It's a song about religion. It's a song about love. It's a song about sex. And it's a song about brokenness. It's a song about life. It's a song about life. And there is God everywhere in it. Everywhere in it, there is God. Uh, And so this this song does reference sex. uh, And so, but sex is a part of life. And we're going to get to that. Now, before we do, let's just say this. This song has been covered by a ton of people. The first time I heard, I heard it, it was I heard the Rufus Wainwright version, and I still love that version. There's the Jeff Buckley version. There's just a lot of different versions. I know Bob Dylan loves this song. I know all kinds of people have recorded the song. It is a great song. Not only that, a lot of people have rewritten the lyrics of this song and left the hallelujah in uh, to make it match their beliefs. And so you'll find Christian songs that have been rewritten with this. Uh, and so, you know, it is a song that has been a part of our culture for a long time. Rewritten, re-recorded. Uh, Dave Grohl, who was the uh, drummer for, the, for Nirvana and then became the lead man for the uh, Foo Fighters, said, He says, it's amazing when I'm singing in front of a crowd, I'll be singing to 85,000 people and they'll be singing the song back to me for 85,000 different reasons. One of the reasons this, this song, Hallelujah, is so popular is because it means something different to everyone. It means something different to everyone who hears it. And for everyone who hears it, it it doesn't mean they're right and others are wrong. It's just this song is that powerful. There is so much depth and so much meaning in this song and so much power in this song that it could mean a hundred different things to a hundred different people. Now, I, for one, am... Leonard Cohen's version to me is the best. And I, uh, I, I'm really not a fan of other people taking it and rewriting their own words because this is his art and let his art stand for his art. But you know, that's not for me to say. Uh, so we are going to look at Leonard Cohen's version, the version that I posted, uh, on the Facebook page an hour ago or so, uh, where he was singing this live in London. So that's what we're going to look at today. Leonard Cohen's Alleluia. Okay. So let's go to verse one. 
Well, I heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. So right at the beginning, this is about King David. This is about King David. How can you not say, how can you say this is not religious, right? This is about King David. So then it goes on to say, you saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. Okay. So this is a clear reference to second Samuel 11, where David sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. So let me just tell you, let me read you the story from second Samuel 11 verses two through five. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent back word to David saying, I am pregnant. Big problem for David because David is the king. Uriah is in the army. He's away fighting David's war. And now David has kind of brought Bathsheba in and forced her to sleep with him. And now she's pregnant. And so he's, he has Uriah come home and says, go home and be your, with your wife. And Uriah says, I'm a man of honor. I can't do that. I mean, the, my army, our army is fighting and people are sleeping in tents. And you want me to go home and sleep with my wife? I can't do that. I, so he lay, said he slept on the ground at the palace gates. So David's like, well, this isn't going to work. So he sends Uriah back to the army and says, put him in the very front. And so they put him in the front and he's killed. Uh, So verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David did had, uh, had done displeased the Lord. Uh, You got to tell the next, the next chapter too. second Samuel 12, one through seven. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a large number of sheep, but the poor man had just one that he had bought. He raised it and grew it up like his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep to prepare a meal for the traveler. Uh, Instead, he took the one lamb that the poor man had and prepared it. Said David burned with anger against the man who and said to this, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he does he did such a thing and had no pity. Pity. Then David said to the man, uh, or Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. What you did to, to Uriah with Bathsheba, you are the man. You did something terrible. You did this. This is the power of lust, right? This is the power of lust. There's a, a, a sports radio guy. His name is Colin Cowherd. I don't listen to his show very often, but he does say some things that make me laugh and some things that are very true. And he said, he says, nothing makes smart guys say and do dumb things like sports and women, right? Nothing makes smart guys do and say dumb things like sports and women. It's like we lose all ability to make logical thoughts. Right. So this, this is about sex. Yes, this is about sex. Now, the Bible talks a lot about what sex should be. Mark 8, verses 8 through 10, Jesus said, And the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It says the same thing in Genesis 2, verse 24. Two will become one flesh. Now, the problem, David had seven other wives before Bathsheba. Uh, he didn't know what it, meant, what it was to be one flesh with another human being because he had so many wives. It was not something that he could understand. Um, 
And, and now the, the song says, but remember when I moved in you and the holy dove was moving too and every breath we drew was hallelujah. Well, that, that's about sex, okay? And we don't talk about sex very often, but, but when we talk about it in, in terms of, of a loving couple, a faithful relationship, two people where two become one, I mean, in that moment, that's, that, it is what it is and it's good, right? Um, we, every breath we drew was hallelujah. These moments of, of these highest highs as you become one with someone else. David never had that. Bathsheba had that with Uriah, but what God had brought together, David separated. And so we are talking about, you know, the brokenness of life. David, the abuse of power, using his power as king to manipulate and murder. And, and, and because of this, his child dies. It's just complete and utter brokenness. And David has, you know, we always say, well, what, how did David feel? What about Uriah? I mean, that guy was murdered. His wife was taken from him and he was murdered. What about Bathsheba? I mean, she had to go through life now living. She goes on to have another son, Solomon, who becomes king. I mean, through brokenness comes beauty. And through, I mean, it's just, it's just so strange. It's so strange. And, and that's where we get this beautiful line, the baffled king composing hallelujah. It's all confusing. None of it makes sense. I've done terrible things. Why am I so blessed? How is it that the son now that I'm having with Bathsheba is going to be my heir and become the king? It's all so confusing. And yet in the confusion, in the brokenness, in the sin, in the, in the love, all of that comes a hallelujah. May God be praised. That, that, is, that is life, right? Now, we don't have the ability like a king to manipulate and abuse our power on others, but like a king does, but we still do that, don't we? I mean, don't, don't people take whatever power they have and use it at times? Um, and, and so there's, there's brokenness all around us. And in that confusion of the brokenness, we still say, hallelujah. And then the next, she tied you to her kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair. Well, this is, this is an obvious reference to, maybe it's not obvious to everybody, but to me it is, to, to Samson and Delilah, to Judges 16, Right? She cut your hair. Uh, Judges sixteen. We, we, I, I hope some of you all know Samson, the, this you know the mighty Nazarite who never cut his hair and was incredibly strong and was able to defeat all the Philistines. Uh, and so, uh, starting verse four, Judges sixteen, Samson fell in love with the woman whose name was Delilah. And the, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, "See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his strength and how we can overpower him, so we may tie him up and subdue him." Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. So Samson answers her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried. Well, that doesn't work. And she says, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Tell me how you can be tied. So he says, if anyone can tie me securely with new rope that has never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Well, she, again, she says, you're making a fool of me and you're lying to me. All the time she's trying to trick him. She's trying to hurt him. She's trying to figure out how he can be hurt. So he says, if you weave seven braids of, of, uh, of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. That doesn't work either. Then she said to him, verse 15, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Verse 16, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Verse 17, so he told her everything. Verse 19, 
So after putting her to sleep, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him and eventually killing him. But he dies by pulling in their palace, and so many dies with him. Uh, this is life, right? Loving someone who wants to hurt you? Being Samson realizing, you know, the first time this happened, where Samson makes, makes up a lie, and the next day wakes up and she does it, you know, he should have run, right? But he can't because he loves her. This is, you know, this is, we love people who want to hurt us at times. It says he was sick to death of it. She kept nagging. She kept, he was sick. He couldn't leave, but it's still, he couldn't take the nagging anymore. Right? She tied you to a kitchen chair. She broke your throne. She cut your hair. And from your lips, she drew the hallelujah. I don't know the, the kitchen chair reference. I don't know if that's like, you know, that, that you, you kind of... The first time living with somebody, and now all of a sudden you can't go out like you used to. You have to stay home, and all of a sudden you realize that this isn't the life that you want, but you love her so much, you have to stay. And from your lips, she drew the hallelujah. I don't really want to praise God right now, but she brought it out of me. She found a way. I mean, there are broken, there's so much brokenness in relationships where we do things that we don't want to do, and you know, people have power over us. That's what love is, giving people power over us so often, uh, putting our putting our life and putting our trust in someone else's hands. Samson did that with Delilah and Delilah, Delilah used that and used that so that she could get rich and so that the Philistines could kill Samson. But still in the midst of this, still from his lips came a hallelujah in the midst of the broken. Love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Love is not a victory march. Love means the highest highs and the lowest lows. A cold and broken hallelujah. In the, in the, the video that I posted, he says a cold and broken hallelujah. The next time it's a cold and lonely hallelujah. Love is joy and love is pain. Love is togetherness and love is loneliness. That's what love is. To love means to lose. You can't love and not lose, plain and simple. Life is lost. We always lose people. They, they move away. They die. They leave. Whatever. Everyone we love, either we're going to leave them or they're going to leave us. Love is loss. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah, but we still praise God for the ability to love because we know what love is and we have the ability to have that person in our lives and we see and we experience joy even if it's fleeting. So it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. That's what love is. So then we'll kind of go through the end of the song. There's a blaze of light in every word. It doesn't matter which you heard, the holy or the broken hallelujah. Uh, the second time, they said the last time it's cold and broken. It's a broken hallelujah. A broken hallelujah might be all that we can offer in life. Every hallelujah we speak is that comes from brokenness. There is so much brokenness in life. We all carry pain. We all carry loss. We all carry pain we've caused others and pain others have caused to us. All of our hallelujahs are broken. All our hallelujahs hallelujahs are broken because we go through life in a broken world, in a sinful world, and we carry the pain of the past. And so all our hallelujahs are broken. None of them come from a place of pure, exuberant, life is great, it always has been and always will be. We still praise God, though, in the midst of the brokenness. 
In the midst of the brokenness, God is still worthy to be praised. He says, I did my best. It wasn't much. This is so powerful. This, the LBW says, you know, we, we, we never worship as we ought, but we worship as we're able. Well, I did my best. It wasn't much. We never live. We never love. We never worship. We never do anything as we ought to, but we do it as we're able. I did my best. It wasn't much. This is the story of sin. This is, this is how we understand God. This is, this is Luther, you know, understanding that we are all beggars at the foot of the cross. I did my best. It wasn't much. I couldn't feel, so I tried to touch. It's so hard to be vulnerable, so hard to be honest with ourselves, so hard to get in touch with our feelings. And so we compensate. We touch without feeling, right? That's what he's saying. I couldn't feel, so I tried to touch. I couldn't, I couldn't understand what was going on inside me. I couldn't be honest with myself. I couldn't be vulnerable. So I just tried to overcompensate by touching instead of feeling. This is so powerful. I told the truth. I didn't come to fool you. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I'm trying to be as honest as I can. There's power in honesty, if nothing else. Uh, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm a broken guy. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done a lot of things wrong. Uh, And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my tongue but alleluia. Our lives, so much goes wrong, even though it all went wrong. This is, this to me, the end of the song, this to me is so powerful. He stands before the Lord of song and doesn't blame the Lord of song. There is no blame here. I'm not blaming God. You know, there's, there's grace here, right? Uh, even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before God and I will praise God. I will praise God, you know, even though it all went wrong. Even though my life, there was so much pain. There was so much sorrow. There was so much sadness. I'm still going to stand before God and from my lips, I will say hallelujah. Now, if you listen to the lyrics in 1984, when the first was released, to the lyrics kind of towards the end of his life, the lyrics changed over time to the song. He added more. He took some away. And what's interesting is that his life changed over time. Leonard Cohen's life changed over time. All our lives do. And so the lyrics change. But the basic message of the song doesn't change. The song ends with grace, it ends with worship, but in between there's a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of pain. In the beginning of the song, it's him and a woman. In the end, it's him and God. That's life. In the beginning of our lives, it's us with others. Me and her, me and him, me and us, uh, all these things, but in the end, it always finishes with us and God. And even though life is broken, even though we do things that we shouldn't, even though we say we have ups, we have downs, we have joys, we have sorrows, we love and we lose, in the end, it's us and God. And from our brokenness, we utter a broken hallelujah. That's what the song is about. That's that's where the song goes. So I would say, yes, this is a religious song because this is a song about the life of a religious man. He wasn't a Christian, didn't wasn't necessarily say anything about Christian, but here's what here's what at the very end. Here's 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 the, the bottom line of the song. This is a song about a man being at peace with the brokenness of his life. A man being at peace with the brokenness of his life. And I think that's all something we are trying to find which is why it's such a popular song, which is why it's been re-recorded and rewritten and redone time and time again. And that, that is the prayer that we have 
each and every day. Lord, help me find peace in the midst of this broken life. Because brokenness is all around us. Brokenness is everywhere. We have seen that in, in ways in the last couple weeks that we couldn't even imagine. I mean, we, we thought that was so far behind us, right? But it's still right there. The brokenness of life is all around us. And where do we find peace in that? My plan was to do a hymn today, but I was driving in my car this week and uh, this weekend, and this song came on, and I heard it. I've heard this song. It's on. It's on every playlist I've ever created. If it, you know, if I go for a walk, the song I listen to the song at least once. If I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing, if I'm mowing the lawn, I'm listening to the song at least once. I've listened to the song more times than I could probably count. Right? Uh, I heard it as I was driving this week, and I heard it for the first time. For the first time, I heard the words "a cold and a broken hallelujah," and it had never hit me before. Love is not a victory march; it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. And it's those two. That line has just been in my mind all weekend. All weekend, I thought, you know what? We're doing this on Monday. This is the song we're going to look at on Monday. Just if for nothing else, then for me, I needed to study the song. I needed to. I needed to to get this out. To get this out of my head. I needed, you know, even if nobody listened to this, I just needed to get this out. Uh, but how powerful it is, how powerful, extremely, extremely powerful it is. So I hope, uh, I hope that you enjoyed this and I hope that you enjoy the song. And I hope that when you listen to it now, you listen to it in a new way, no matter who's singing it. Uh, again, it's been covered so many times. It's been rewritten so many times because it has meant so many different things to so many different people. Uh, and so I hope that this song going forward, you, you, you listen to it in a new way. And every time you listen to it, you remember the, the joys and the brokenness and all those things. And through it all, yet we still say hallelujah. We still say hallelujah because we look for peace in the midst of brokenness. And sometimes the only peace we can find is Jesus, is Jesus for people of the Christian faith. So we will finish with a word of prayer. Dear, dear God, we thank you for this life. We thank you for creating us and for giving us others to share this life with. We thank you for the love that we have felt, for the love that we feel today, for those who we get to share our lives with. Uh, we, we know that um, what we have today, we won't always have, but we are grateful for what we do have. And we pray that when uh, the difficult times come and we experience brokenness, that you'll, uh, you'll give us the strength and comfort we need to get through that until that day we stand before you, Lord. And uh, as not as we ought, but as we're able, we proclaim hallelujah. We continue to praise you through it all because you have always been good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, everybody, and I will see you tomorrow.